the teams you care about. When you think about the Patriots' needs this offseason, look for one trait, explosiveness. The stories that matter to you. I'm not convinced that Ben Shungu, that he's not the league player of the year. This is your home for New England sports. Bobby Dahlbeck playing third base this year? Now that is interesting. This is the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Welcome in. It's Monday, Brady Farkas Show on WDEV-AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We're on Facebook Live. We're on YouTube Live. You can check us out in all these different platforms, and we've got a full 90 minutes up until 7 o'clock. Weird but fun night tonight on WDEV. Jazz with George Thomas comes up 7 to 8 And then high school basketball, back to the odd we go. Girls D2 semifinals, Linden against Spalding. Our coverage begins at 8. Tip-off is 8.15. We're going to talk with UVM Athletics broadcaster Rob Ryan about the busy day on campus, but an exciting and mostly productive day on campus on Saturday up in Burlington. We get the latest from deadline day at the Major League Baseball negotiations and Some interesting stuff coming out of the NFL Combine as well. You can get in, as always, on the Napa-Morrisville-Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. You can, again, that's your locally owned Napa stores in Waterbury and Morrisville. You can get in on that brand new Facebook live stream and also on YouTube live as well. You can watch us in all those places. You can live comment into the show everywhere. So now, Lego. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. The opening thoughts on the Brady Farkas Show are brought to you by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, Vermont's most complete locally owned home center. Locations in Enosburg, Derby, Middlesex, St. Albans, and at Swanton Lumber. They're online at sticksandstuff.com. Let me just establish this right off the bat. The media is and was 100% entitled to ask Alex Ovechkin or any Russian hockey player about the current situation with Ukraine. The media is 100% entitled to ask those questions, especially of Ovechkin. And the reason why I'm bringing this up is because Ovechkin on Friday was asked about four minutes worth of questions about the situation. And after the fact, I read a couple people on social media saying that the reporters were, quote, disgusting for their questioning. Not disgusting. Not wrong. Not out of bounds. In fact, it was completely inbounds to talk to Ovechkin about what's going on. Alexander Ovechkin is the highest profile Russian hockey player in the world. Alex Ovechkin's Instagram profile picture is also of him and Vladimir Putin. It was the day of the invasion. It remains his Instagram profile picture days after the invasion has begun. So it's completely fair for reporters to ask Ovechkin about his relationship with Putin, about his Instagram profile picture, and about the fact that he helped campaign for Putin to win the presidency in the past. That was completely in bounds, and the line of questioning was completely fair. Let's understand this also. Society decided a long time ago that we were not just going to, quote, stick to sports. So that cuts always. And if that's the decision that society has made, 
then that's the rules that we as the media and you as the fans have to live by. We've been told, we've been shown, we've been proven that athletes are more than athletes. That athletes have real-life opinions and real-life views. Well, that cuts all ways. It doesn't just cut when it's convenient for somebody. This is the rules that we are playing by, and therefore the line of questioning is completely fair. If we're going to care so much about Aaron Rodgers or Kyrie Irving's vaccination status, and we're going to spend entire days talking about it, then we can ask Alex Ovechkin this. If we're going to care about who is and who is not going to the White House for a championship celebration based on who is in office at the time, we can ask Alex Ovechkin about this. We've spent seven years talking about Colin Kaepernick and his views and if he's been blackballed from the NFL. All of these things are not technically sports, but they're all things that we all talk about, have talked about, and are going to continue to talk about. If we can talk about that stuff, and if we can talk about Ennis Cantor Freedom's humanitarian crusade for justice in China, if we can cover these things, all of these things which are not sports, then we can ask Alex Ovechkin. And the public deserves to have those questions asked of Alex Ovechkin. We've spent two years talking about COVID and COVID policy and all of this stuff that I didn't get in the business to talk about. If we're talking about all of that, we're certainly going to talk about this. And if we're going to celebrate European hockey teams coming out with Ukrainian flags, as we should, then we're showing right away we're not going to just stick to sports. So the decision was made long ago. Sports is not just sports. Not anymore, and it never will be again. And because that is the deal, Alex Ovechkin deserves to be questioned about his relationship with Vladimir Putin, his Instagram picture, his campaign in the past, all of it. It is all completely fair game. These are the rules that we play by. Now, I presume that the people who didn't like the reporter's questioning, I'm, I have to assume that they think so because... It's dangerous for Ovechkin to speak out, right? It's dangerous for Russian athletes to speak out against Putin or against the war. And if Ovechkin did it, he carries a certain kind of weight that it may be even more dangerous for him to do so. And I respect that. That's true. Russian athletes are in a very tough spot. Alexander Ovechkin is in a tough spot when he's asked. But that is, that is what needs to be done. If Alexander Ovechkin wants to be wishy-washy or non-committal or straddle the fence or has to figure out the perfect answer to, you know, have to has to craft the perfect answer that best serves his own personal safety and interests, that's fine too. But the questions still need to get asked. We all know that the media, you know, that that it's a big game between the athletes and the media. The media asks the questions and then Ovechkin can come up with whatever answer best serves him. We know the media gets lied to in sports all the time. That's all we. That's why I always tell you to take what certain people say with a grain of thought, with a grain of, uh, you know, with a grain of salt. Alex Ovechkin can come up with whatever answer he wants, but the question still needs to be asked. 802-585-3026. Your thoughts here on the Napa Morrisville Napa Waterbury text line, and for what it's worth, I really thought that. 
both sides really handled the whole thing well. The press conference was three minutes and 38 seconds. I believe it was four or five questions from the reporters. This wasn't some hour-long grilling where they put Ovechkin in a locked room under a hot light, you know, and looked at everything with a microscope. This wasn't a witch hunt press conference against Ovechkin. This was like four or five questions. It lasted three minutes and 28 seconds. And I haven't heard him talk about it again since this happened on Friday. So I think the media asked their questions, and now they've largely gotten out of the way with it, gotten out of the way of it all from him. The questions I thought were asked fairly and in a generous tone. Like I think the reporters knew the sensitive nature that this could be putting Ovechkin in, and I thought that they asked the questions with a degree of sensitivity. And I think they were understanding of the position that Ovechkin was in. And I largely thought that Ovechkin handled it fine as well. At the end of the day, what did we want him to say? At the end of the day, we wanted him to say he was against the war. He said that multiple times. Now, maybe he wasn't as demonstrative as people would have wanted, but I took that to be like, he knows he's in danger if he speaks out. Here is what Ovechkin said. Like, I'm Russian, right? Um, sometimes, like, some, some, something I can't control, you know, it's not in my hands. Um, how I said, like, I hope it's going to end soon and uh, it's going to be uh, peace in uh, both countries. And, uh, you know, um, I, don't, I don't control this one. So, I mean, I get it. Some people want him to come out and take a stand. Fine. But largely... I thought he handled the fight. He said, I want peace. He said, I want peace in, peace in both countries. He didn't say, I view Ukraine as an extension of Russia. He straddled the fence on Putin and said, yes, he's my president, but basically implied, like, I don't like this move by him. And at the end, he said what everybody wanted to say. Please, no more war, you know. Um, that like, that, everybody wanted him to say, please, no more war. He did that. So the reporters were fair to ask. I think they asked the questions in a fair manner. I think they were sensitive to the position that Ovechkin is put in here. And Ovechkin, at the end of the day, said what everybody wanted him to say. He doesn't want the war. He wants peace. He wants peace in both countries, and that war is terrible. Again, and I think beyond that, he then tried to straddle the fence so that he's not enemy number one when he returns to home, and that is family is not in danger. I can't imagine the position that Ovechkin's family is in if he were to speak out. And I don't care to go too far down this road, but like, I'm not someone that says just because you voted for Putin in 2017 or just because you liked Putin in 2017, it doesn't mean that you can't change today. Like, Putin was bad long before today, so Ovechkin endorsing him already, like, I'm already skeptical of that, but I can believe that he liked him at one point and doesn't have to like what's going on today. So, but the people I saw on Twitter who said the reporters were disgusting for asking, I, I'm not buying that. The reporters were doing their job. Sports is not just sports, and it hasn't been just sports for a long time. Sports and politics have been tied up in knots for a very long time. Since the ancient city-states of, of uh, Athens and Sparta, sports and politics have been tied together. 1980, Miracle on Ice, sports and politics were tied together. 
9-11, George Bush thrown out the first pitch at Yankee Stadium. Sports and politics were tied together. Now sports is tied in with race and with social justice and with humanitarian causes, and your favorite team is donating to certain causes or to natural disaster relief, and we've got Breast Cancer Awareness Month, and we've got Military Awareness Month. Sports is tied in with everything now. So sports has not been just sports for a long time, and Alex Ovechkin, he knows those rules. The questions were perfectly fair. The reporters did their job. They did it well. Ovechkin gave the answers everybody wanted to, even if he didn't say it exactly as demonstrative as you would have liked. All in all, I thought this was I, I thought this was handled relatively well by all sides. Like, yeah, I would have liked Ovechkin to come out and say that you know uh, Putin is an evil d bag and I hate the guy. I would have liked him to say that, but I get why he didn't for fear of repercussion. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVRadio.com. Now let's move from that story to a happier story involving hockey. The UVM women's hockey team opened up the Hockey East playoffs for them with a win over Providence. They're headed to the Hockey East semis, which come up Wednesday. UVM men's basketball won this weekend as well against UMass Lowell. Men's hockey was in action too. The guy who saw it all is broadcaster Rob Ryan. He called the hockey game. He called the basketball game. He was the PA guy at the gut for the men's hockey game. It was a busy Saturday on campus. What were his takeaways from each game and about each team? Rob Ryan is going to join us next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com, and Facebook Live and YouTube Live as well. The Brady Farkas Show now has an interactive text line, so reach out now at 802-585-3026. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEV Radio. Com. Saturday was the rare triple header over in Catamount Country. It had to be one of the most exciting days I can remember in Catamount Country. You had Hockey East playoffs for the women's team at noon. You had men's basketball against UMass Lowell. You had men's hockey at 7.30 against UMass. And the guy who saw it all and called all of it is UVM Athletics broadcaster Rob Ryan, who's with us now. Rob, thanks for being with us. How are you? I'm good, Brady. Thank you for having me. How much tea and honey did you need Saturday night after calling all three of those games? And those are two cold environments. It hits the vocal cords differently. Yeah, actually, you know what? The senior day for the men's basketball team, being kind of sandwiched between the two games at Gutterson was a saving grace because it was you yeah. know a couple of three, four hours to warm up uh, before getting back over to do public address for the men's game that night. So it's a... It was great, though. It was, a, it was an awesome day on campus, and anytime you can have a senior day uh, on campus at UVM is always a special day. And a playoff game, it's always special. That really does have to be one of the most exciting days that I can remember. Like, full days. I've seen America East Championship days in Catamount Country, and those have been great, but those are standalone games. This was an all-day affair. I don't remember one quite like this that was that full and that meaningful. It's been a rare triple header every now and again, but you're right in the context of having a playoff game followed by senior day, followed by a men's hockey nightcap is pretty rare. And the, the first two were just, 
you know, just just awesome to get the day started with those two was was great. Yeah, let's start with the women's hockey team. We had head coach Jim Plumer on on Friday's show. They advanced to the semifinals. They're going to play UConn on Wednesday night. They beat Providence on Saturday by a score of 4-1. to one. Look, I don't know whether I call the program an emergence or a resurgence. I don't know what the what quite what the right word is, but uh, what do you make of how good this program has been this year? It has been a kind of a slow climb to get to where the women's hockey team is right now. And Coach Plumer's done an amazing job of kind of ushering in new recruits every year. And they've finally been able to kind of put it all together, class to class to class, this season. They're getting the goaltending from Jesse McPherson that you always need, especially in Hockey East, which is one of the toughest, you know, uh, in the nation to play in. And what Teresa Schaffsall, Alyssa Holmes, and Christina Shanahan have done up front as a top line is something we haven't seen here in Vermont for all three to be playing as well as they're playing. We've had Amanda Pelkey here, and enough can't be said about how amazing she is. But Teresa Schaffsall, in less games played, is five points behind yeah. Amanda. And it's she's been – I haven't seen anything like it in Vermont uh, since I started doing games you know, 12 years ago. And what about just – the joy that they play with obviously things are easier when you're winning right everybody's in a better mood when you're winning but there just seems to be a camaraderie in this team they seem to have that it quality this year and i think that starts from the top down too again it starts with coach plumer alex gettins jessica zumi all those guys kind of foster that environment as as they come in and you're just day to day these kids are having fun out there and obviously winning makes that even better but i think even if they hadn't set program records and wins this would be the same disposition um you know player to player uh, as it would be if they were at 15 wins and, and heading into into games just because of who they are um and obviously you know they've got a lot of just tremendous players that are upperclassmen but it's really the younger crew and the depth uh, that's been added to this team and i think that's the biggest thing as you go back through the years under coach plumer and even before um, they were dressing, you know, in Amanda Pelkey's first year, 15 players in a yeah. game and no healthy scratches. You know, and then you get into the last couple of seasons, and they're actually skating a 19th player. And there are some healthy scratches like a Cam Morrissey who came off a of defense once Cini Karjalainen came back from uh, from the Olympics where, you know, she finds herself in the press box as a healthy scratch because there's just not room. The depth of this team is great. The disposition of the team is great. And honestly, the talent's terrific, especially you know, across all four lines, which is something that this program hasn't had uh, in a long time. Well, they're going to play again on Wednesday night, Hockey East Semi, 6 o'clock at the gut against number three, UConn. So we're talking with Rob Ryan, UVM Athletics broadcaster here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM. Let's move over to men's basketball. They win 62-61. to 61. They survive a late charge from UMass Lowell. The last two games kind of had this tenuous quality to them. They didn't play great in the second half against Binghamton. They didn't play great in the second half against UMass Lowell. Do you view this as something to worry about, or is it just kind of late-season funk, we'll turn it on when the playoffs come? Yeah, I think they're, you know, obviously you get this late in the season. I think every team is battling some things. You know, Ryan Davis has missed some games, you know, with his injuries. And, and I teams know each other. This is... Uh, a league that really grinds most nights you go back and look at and i did this kind of previous to coming on you go back and look at the last four or five years you see the odd game that they win where they score 59 you see Mm -hmm. the odd game you know you know you get this string of four or five games in conference play where they're you know in the 60s you know we've been to a point and bernie and i make this point during the broadcast we are spoiled with this team 
especially this season with how well they've played night in, night out. They're scoring 70, 80 points. They're beating teams by 12. That's, that's rare to continue for a whole season. So I think in these final two games and in these, you know, this final kind of week of the season, it's kind of a reset and refocus. Are there some concerns? Yeah, I think you want to make sure that offense comes back. They're reliant on the three-pointer a lot. And if they fall in love with it too much and don't make those shots, you get hairy situations like you had in the last game. But I'm not overall concerned about where they are. They are unbeaten at home so far. They're going to play every playoff game at Patrick Gymnasium. And I think that, you know, a little rest and relaxation as they head into the playoffs will will help them uh, and kind of, you know, get to take that next step. I've been on this all year long. I've always said that this formula for this team is your stars need to play like stars, and then you need that third guy. And for a while it was Isaiah Powell, and then it was Finn Sullivan, and then it was Deloney, and now I don't know who it is because we've gone, it's 10 of the last 11 games where Sullivan hasn't been in double figures. Powell's his offense has largely evaporated. Like, who's the third person we can count on? And now Missoula didn't even play the second half the other day. So the beauty of, of what John Becker has on his hands is similar to what we talked about with the hockey team. The depth on this team that they can go eight or nine deep is is staggering, and it's not something that a lot of other teams can compete with. When you can bring, like the other day, you had Nick Fiorella come off the bench, bang, dang, two quick threes, power up with a layup to get a quick eight points, and that's all he needs to do. And then you get one other guy like Deloney to do that, another quick eight or nine. And suddenly you've got 20 points off your bench, plus what you're going to get from your starters, which is your typical averages, and it adds up over the course of a game. And the next thing you know, they're in the 70s and 80s, and they're winning. And that's, I think, the key is to make sure that any one of those guys gets the significant amount of touches they need in order to get you that you know, 12, 15 points off the bench so Benny and Ryan can do what they do on a day-in, day-out basis. But you're right. It's that third level, um, but you never know where it's going to come from, and that's what makes this team so hard to play against. And it does make it a little, as you look at it from the outside, well, where's it going to come from tonight? And the fun of it's watching them play and kind of seeing where it does come from because it all seems to come. You know, the real um, downer on the weekend for UVM athletics was the men's hockey team against UMass or beating five, one and eight, two. And it's, it's been a down year this year from a win and loss standpoint, though there have been moments Um, you're the PA announcer at the gut for them. So you've seen home games this year, they're in the heart of a rebuild right now. Well, you know, we knew this was not going to be a very, very quick fix for Todd Woodcroft. What do you think of where this team is at in its development? And what do you think of what Woodcroft's brought? You know, you take a look at the line charts every time that they're passed out and you see all the little NHL team logos next to, to players that have been draft picks. And then some others that we think, you know, may be drafted in, in the near future. And, and that's a good sign because that's, you know, that's not something we've seen a lot of in the last couple of years. And, I just think that it you're right it's a rebuild and I think all the individual pieces are starting to come together and it's a matter of kind of blending those into a team atmosphere and into a team aspect and that's what we you know coach Woodcroft's big you know to do for for next season and get all these guys to start gelling playing together find the mixes that work the best um, and start to put it all together in the future but yeah it's been a it's been a tough road for the men's hockey team this season and you're right there have been flashes of of brilliance with this team sometimes yeah. Um, and then you get what you get against the number team, ten, you know, number ten team in the nation in, in UMass here this past weekend. So, you know, I think there's a lot to look forward to, um, and that's exactly what they're going to have to do moving forward: is look forward to the future. 
Rob, I'll get you out of here on this. I just, I just got to know. You know, we know about the Ryan brothers in football. Rex Ryan, Rob Ryan, the longtime head coach in Rex's case, defensive coordinator in Rob's case. Has there ever been a football Sunday where you've opened up your Twitter mentions and somebody is chastising you for someone's defensive game plan or performance? Yeah, when when Rex was the coach in in with the Jets, and because of the fact that I live in New Jersey, a lot of followers, you know, was born and raised in New Jersey, a lot of followers from that area. Yes, I would get a lot of texts, you know, kind of. <laughs> wake up and figure it out type of stuff so (laughs) little crossed wires there i say you know not the same dude there's also another guy somewhere who does some morning radio show who's got the same name uh, as me and i get a ton of tweets on that too so uh, it's the the blessing of having the common name i get asked all the time was that your real name yes yes it is uh which is nice because it does kind of roll off the tongue for broadcast purposes but i do get mixed up with a lot of other people (laughs) that have a similar name Rob Ryan, UVM Athletics broadcaster. He was there for the triple header on Saturday. Called the women's hockey game, called the men's basketball game, was in attendance as the PA announcer for the men's hockey team. Uh, look, appreciate you taking 10, 11 minutes for us. Go rest the vocal cords. You've got another You've got another one to do Wednesday night women's hockey semifinals uh, as they take on UConn. So, yeah, rest the vocal cords. Lozenges and uh, tea and honey. That's my advice. And if I could say real quick, uh, the crowd for the women's hockey game this past Saturday was tremendous, close to, I think, a 1,000 people in the house, which is a great crowd for them. If you have a chance and have a Wednesday night free, come out and watch this team play. They deserve the support that they've been getting, and they deserve a little bump as they head into a semifinal. Pack the gut part trois. So (laughs) we will talk to you again down the road. Thanks so much. Thanks, Brady. Absolutely. Rob Ryan, there he goes. What a fun – yeah, what a fun Saturday that was. Women's hockey – Look, I mean, there's really nothing more to say. I mean, I'm just happy that the program is getting the respect that it has long craved. And that's what Jim Plumer told us on Friday when we had him on. He said, I'm happy that our program has gotten to a level where we're getting the resp- getting the respect. He goes, that's all I ever wanted was for us to get respected. Men's basketball gets respect. Men's hockey gets respect. Men's lacrosse gets respect. Men and women's soccer get respect. Women's basketball was great in the early to mid-90s. They got a lot of respect. Now you're at the point where women's basketball is getting respect again, and women's hockey is now getting respect as well. And uh, it's very, very cool to see. Also, the men's basketball team with the one-point win over UMass Lowell. I have some thoughts on that coming up in the next hour but uh, and I do I will you know I'm gonna I got some thoughts on men's hockey too you know we've talked to Todd Woodcroft a couple of times this year haven't really gone deep into the games because frankly the games haven't been worth talking about from a results standpoint but as we hit the end of the regular season and tomorrow is the final regular season game they're gonna take on Northeastern at the gut as we hit the end of the regular season there are some thoughts on what Rob had to say and on some other things that I've kind of been marinating on about the UVM men's hockey team. So there's plenty to get to there. What we will do is we will step aside. We'll get the national news update from CBS News, and then we're going to come back. We'll give you the latest from the Major League Baseball players and owners negotiations. They're still going on. The two sides are still meeting in Florida. It's not going particularly well, but they are still talking. We'll bring you the latest. That's next right here on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com.
Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Reminder, after the show is over, you can download the free podcast. You can do that every single day, Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just subscribe and follow the podcast, and you can check us out there. So we're going to get to some stuff on the Patriots here momentarily, and the reason why we're going to talk about the Patriots next is, is simple. We don't have real baseball to talk about. I have a segment on what somebody is saying about Mac Jones that I'm going to do here in a couple of minutes. And on a normal February 28th, I probably wouldn't do that segment, being perfectly honest. We'd be talking about the beginning of the Grapefruit League schedule for the Red Sox. Red Sox should have started playing games like two or three days ago at this point. We'd be talking about what position battles we're looking at or, or what minor league prospects we're looking forward to or how exactly the rotation's going to shape up and what High and Bloom has done here in the lead-up to spring training. We'd be talking about all of that. We probably would not do the Mac Jones segment, but we're forced into it because baseball has forced us there. You wonder in part why this country loves football so much, why this country loves the NBA so much, and why our business collectively talks about those things so much. It's in part because baseball has pushed us there. Here's the situation. The players and owners are meeting now for the eighth consecutive day. They're still talking. They're down in Florida. We know Evan Drellick of the Athletic just posted Rob Manfred walking back over to the player's side. So, you know, they talk amongst themselves, and then they come together, and then they go back, and then they come together, and we don't have a deal right now. And I would imagine that we're not going to have a deal by the end of today. And if we don't have a deal by the end of the day, Major League Baseball has said that we're just going to start canceling games. And I think the players largely view that as a threat and try to force them into a deal, but I think it's largely a credible threat. I think that Major League Baseball ownership has shown the fans what a lot of people already suspected. Major League Baseball owners, they don't love baseball. Major League Baseball owners really solely look at baseball or owning baseball teams as a way to make money. And we all know, I'm not naive, we know that sports are big business. We say that all the time. Well, hey, this is a business. It's not just a game. This is a business. The average fan knows that it's a business. But to us, to the fan, it's a business plus a game. To the owners, it's just a business. And that's the difference. The owners are showing us that. To them, it is just a business. We knew it. We knew there were business components to it. But we also knew that somewhere in there was a game that we fell in love with. And baseball owners are telling us in, in large, sweeping ways that the game isn't that important to them. Money is the only thing that's important to them. So when you ask me why am I on the players' side, well, because the players, one, I'm not going to go as far as saying that they're all being screwed. I'm not going to go there. But the players are being undervalued, and the owners are telling you, you know what? We don't, we just don't care. We just don't care. And all of us have jobs. And if our companies treated us that way or saw us that way, we'd all be furious too. Major League Baseball is willing to shoot itself in the foot. Look, I'm going to come back. If they play, 
if they play 160 games, 140 games, 120 games, or 100 games, I'm going to come back. The lockout, it's not going to ruin my love of baseball. It's not. But it's going to ruin it for a lot of you. And that's what I fear. That the five-year-old kid isn't going to be able to fall in love with the game like I did. And then the game is going to be hurt. I I don't love hockey. Okay, we talk, We'll talk about hockey when it's applicable. And I know we're going to talk about the Bs, especially as we get towards the playoffs. But maybe part of the reason that... I don't love hockey. Hockey missed an entire season when I was younger. And as a result, hockey got stuck on a network that most people didn't have, and we never got to see it. That's going to be baseball if this garbage doesn't get resolved. I'm in. Like, the lockout's not going to ruin me. I can be mad. You know, mom and dad fight, but eventually mom and dad get together. I'm still going to love mom and dad. I'm going to love baseball no matter what. Some of you won't. And that's just that that's just crippling to the sport. The sport needs to grow. It needs to keep growing. It needs to keep being innovative. And instead, the sport can't get out of its own way. The Major League Baseball owners want to cut minor league teams. They want to cut minor league players. They don't want to play, they don't want to pay minor league players a, a, a minimum wage. They don't want to do that stuff. They're hurting the players, they're hurting their employees, and they're hurting the sport, and they just don't seem to care. Sure, the players are, I had somebody say earlier to me, it's greedy owners against greedy players. There's probably some elements of greed on the players' side. They shouldn't get everything that they want, but largely, what have I seen? The players have at least been willing to move towards the middle. The owners are moving very, very incrementally. It's almost like Jamison Tyon, the uh, the pitcher for the Yankees, who pitched for the Yankees last year, is with the Yankees this year, said it's pretty clear. Major League Baseball doesn't want to play. They've identified a number of games in their mind where they're still going to make revenue for the playoffs and with TV deals, and they're good just going to that. And we saw this in the COVID year. We saw this in the COVID year. Major League Baseball could have come back at the end of May and been there for Memorial Day weekend and played 100 games and been the first major sport back during COVID. But instead, the owners waffled and the owners wanted to stick it to the players and the owners wanted to screw the players and the owners didn't want to pay the players. So what did we get? We got a 60-game season and a lot of bad blood. We had a 60-game season and not a 100-game season solely because of the owners and solely because of money. The players are tired of being screwed. They're tired of being jilted and jabbed at every turn. I'm on their side. But more importantly, I just wish baseball were coming back and coming back on time. And right now, it doesn't appear that that's going to be the case. I mean, I don't think we have another update coming here just yet. I mean, let's check. Let's go right to Twitter and get right to the source. Evan Drellick of The Athletic, yeah, 15 minutes ago, the commissioner headed back to the player's side. I, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know that today, on February 28th, we should be talking about what our reports are from from Fort Myers. We should be talking about uh, Red Sox pitchers who, ooh, we're not quite sure. Oh, wow, we didn't know that that guy had that. Maybe he's a name to watch. We should be talking about the development of Tristan Cassis and what happened to Jaron Duran in the offseason. But instead, what are we doing? We're about to do another Mac Jones segment. It doesn't have to be that way. But baseball is pushing us in that direction. 
and that's part of the reason this is so problematic and this is so frustrating. Baseball is doing this to itself, and in an extension, is pu- is pushing us away. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Uh, all right, let's check in on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Let's see here. Um... You think if the MLB season is delayed beyond June, it helps collegiate leagues like the Lake Monsters, the Mountaineers, and the Nighthawks? No. I mean, no, I don't. I, I don't think anybody benefits from this. I don't think anybody benefits from this. I guess the question is, if we didn't have Major League Baseball, would there be such an appetite that people would just show up at their local baseball? I No, I don't think that. I don't think that's going to change anything. I think... The people who go to their local college baseball summer leagues, they're going to go no matter what, and you're always going to attract some new fans to that with little kids and stuff. Whether Major League Baseball is playing or not, I think you're going to see people at those games. I don't think they're going to start getting 5,000 just because there's no Major League Baseball. Major League Baseball not being around right now helps college baseball because instead of spring training, some people are now watching college baseball that have never paid attention before. That's it. Those are the only people that benefit from this. There, there is no – Major League Baseball not being here is no benefit to anybody. College baseball is the is the only one who stands to profit from this because now people are talking about that instead. But largely, this is, this is no good. So we got a question on UVM men's basketball. We're going to get to them in about 15 minutes from now. But I have to do the aforementioned Mac Jones segment. I'm sorry. This is what baseball has done to us. I have to give you Mac Jones content here on February 28th. The week of the NFL Combine, we're talking about Mac Jones. Luckily, this is not a throwaway segment. I have a real take on this. I'm not just shoehorning it in because there's nothing to talk about. Like, I bumped other things to get to this Mac Jones segment, but I wish we were talking baseball and Fort Myers reports instead of this. Here's Kimberly Martin, ESPN NFL analyst, who says that Mac Jones is set to take maybe the biggest jump of any of the young quarterbacks in 2022. He is literally what we expected, right? He was a guy that was going to come into the league, be one of the most pro-ready guys. He was going to, you knew he could read defenses, you know he could process quickly, and that's something that you can't say for some of the veteran quarterbacks in the league. So he will take another step, he will get better, he will be a very good QB. Do you believe that Mac Jones is ready to, quote, break out in 2022? That's what Kimberly Martin says, that Mac Jones is ready to break out in 2022. I I, I don't agree with that statement, frankly, and I think there's a few different reasons. For starters, pretty simple, the term break out, um, the term break out means that you're set to make a huge jump. Like you're kind of coming from nowhere and you're getting to average. Or you're coming from average and you're getting to great. Uh, I don't think Mac Jones is set to make a big jump. Mac Jones was already good. He doesn't have that much runway left. Mac Jones started from a spot where he's pretty good. And I don't think he's ever going to get to be great. There's not a lot of runway left for him. So he can't break out. Simple, Simple as that. I've used this before, and I've used this analogy before. If this were a video game, Mac Jones came into last season with a player rating of 73. Better than some of his 
compatriots who came in in last year's draft class. He came in at a 73, more advanced, more developed. He's going to grow to what? A 77? That's not breaking out. Mac Jones is never going to be a player that gets a player rating of 95. Joe Burrow might have gone from 75 to 95. Josh Allen went from 65 to 72 to 79 to 90. Like, Mac Jones doesn't have that in him. He's never going to be that endgame. So he's not going to break out. He's going to get incrementally better. He's going to get incrementally better. He's not going to make a big jump. There's not a big jump left for him to be made. I'm not saying that he's a finished product, but he's a hell of a lot closer to a finished product than a lot of the other young quarterbacks are going to be. Justin Fields, that guy's going to take a big jump. Video game analogy, he could get to a point where he's a 90. He might be starting at a 70, but he can take a huge jump to get closer to a 90. Zach Wilson might be starting from a 65, but he might have the ceiling to get to an 85. Mac Jones is starting from a better place. He's not going to end at as good a place as those guys. So you might like Mac Jones, and I like Mac Jones. Let's just understand what Mac Jones is. Mac Jones is a player who is good. Mac Jones is not a player who is unbelievable, and he's not a player who's going to turn unbelievable. So when I hear things like Mac Jones is poised for a big jump, no, he's not. There's not a big jump to be made. He doesn't have a lot of runway. There are players who come in that have raw tools and have a long way to go, but when they get there, it's special. Mac Jones is coming in with a pretty well-defined repertoire, and he can make some tweaks here and there. But, I mean, think about it like baseball, the sport we all love. There are people who... They come in throwing 88 miles an hour, but they've somehow got the ability to throw 98 miles an hour, and it takes a little bit of time to get there. Those guys, they make big jumps. Mac Jones comes in. He's already throwing 93. That's pretty good. You know what he's going to finish throwing at? 94. There's just not a lot of room left there. That's just what he is. He's always going to be good. He's not going to make a big jump. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Texter here on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line, 802-585-3026. Michael says, hi, I thought you were going to start giving the soccer scores today. That was one of the funniest things on radio in a long time. No joke. Somebody came to me and said, we were not talking enough soccer. I'll, a- I'll ask it out to the text line, 802-585-3026. Do you want this show to, like, talk detailed soccer? And I don't mean, like, this is, look, I'm not going to read scores. The, the, the show here, morning radio is for reading scores, right? You go to bed early, you wake up, and you want to know who won the next day. On morning radio, they read scores. By now, games are long over. Like, if you want to know who won, you're going to find it. It's so, like, you don't need to... You don't need me to come on and tell you that Liverpool beat Chelsea one nothing. You don't need me to come on and tell you that uh, Man U topped uh, Leicester City. I don't even know if those teams are in the same league. But you don't need me to come and give you scores. Like, do you need me to come and do detailed, detailed segments here? Like, do you want 10 minutes on the breakdown of the penalty kicks yesterday in the Premier League? And who used the right foot and who used the left and who went top shelf and who went back corner? 
Do we need to be? Do we want that on this show? If we do, if the overwhelming majority is, you know, that's like the first time today that anyone's ever told me to talk soccer. I don't even know in a year and a half of the show I've even ever gotten a question about talking soccer. Nevertheless, someone telling me we weren't doing it enough. I've had people say they. I had one person tell me they wanted the the results of UVM skiing from the weekend. That was a an outlier. And then I've had people say I had somebody say they wanted me to talk some horse racing. I think at one point, and today was soccer. Text line anybody eight zero two five eight five thirty twenty six. Should I be talking soccer and giving you detailed breakdowns of uh, World Cup? Here, Russia was banned from World Cup qualifying today. FIFA and UEFA, Russia's out for the foreseeable future. Russia's also out on the hockey front. The IIHF has said no juniors, no men's worlds, no women's worlds, nothing through 2022 for Russia. There there was talking hockey and soccer today. If people want more than that, let me know. 802-585-3026. Tomorrow we'll give the, uh, the MLS scores. I think maybe Orlando City is playing tonight or something. We'll do that on the midday news service. But now we're off Mac Jones. We're off soccer. We're off baseball. Let's go to who's saying what. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What did he say? Mac Jones? Good Lord. Mel Kuyper's got to slow down on this. Mac Jones ain't going to work, folks. It's not going to work. You just got to come to terms with it. It's not going to work. They really said that? Every damn thing is politics and race. And I'm losing my mind over it. It's time for Who's Saying What on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEB AM, FM, and WDEBradio.com. Who's saying what? Brought to you by Vermont Laser Wash. That's Central Vermont's home of unlimited car washes. If you want unlimited car washes, it's only $20 a month. And if you just want one free car wash, the listener just needs to text the word Vermont to the number 30 and then 400. So that's number 30 and then 400. I'm going to need a car wash. I got a new car the other day. At least. I don't own it. But still, it's new. New to me. So black car looks very sharp, you know. Not really a status guy, but black looks sharp, power color. I've I've had it for two days, awfully dirty already. So I might have to I'm gonna have to hit them up there. The Vermont Laser Wash people, twenty dollars a month for the unlimited car washes. I'm gonna need to wash this car a lot, I think, to keep it looking so sleek. So uh, do love the new ride though. Do love the new ride. So all right, remember back in the NFL playoffs when the whole world <laughs> seemed upset that the Chiefs won the coin toss against the Bills and then went down and scored a touchdown and the Bills never got the ball back. The Bills never saw the ball in overtime, so everybody was was crying about how the Bills didn't get the ball and how unfair it was. And It was the greatest game ever. It didn't deserve to end like that. The Bills should have touched the ball. And I, and I ridiculed everybody. Well, now NFL teams are still crying about it. And as we hit the NFL Combine this week, Tom Pelissero of the NFL Network gives us this. In fact, our Judy Batista reported last night that the Indianapolis Colts have already submitted a proposal that would change the rule for both the regular season and the postseason to give each team at least one possession, regardless of what happens on the first possession. And then you'd go to sudden death. What are, I mean, what are we doing here, people? You're never going to get overtime perfect. You're never going to make everybody happy. Let's just keep it the same there's no need to change it. 
Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line 802-585-3026. Also YouTube Live, also Facebook Live. Do you believe that the overtime rules should be changed to allow everybody at least one possession to see what happens? Because, I mean, in my opinion, the rule is fine the way it is. I look at the Bills in that playoff game and I say, you know what? If you don't allow Patrick Mahomes to throw for 200 yards after the two-minute warning, then it probably doesn't come down to that. You had the lead with 13 seconds left, and you allowed them to go down and kick a field goal and go 50 yards. Like, that's on you. That's not on the rules. I don't believe I don't believe that that is on the rule book. Because no matter what you change, somebody is always going to find something to be upset about. So let's just say this. Let's just play this out for a second. If the rule gets changed to what the Indianapolis Colts are asking for, right? Everybody gets a everybody gets a possession. Let's just say the Chiefs win the coin toss. They go down and they have a seven and a half minute drive and they score a touchdown. Overtime's only ten minutes. They leave the Bills two and a half minutes. Now everybody's going to cry, the Bills didn't have enough time, overtime's too short. You're never going to make everybody happy on this. What if the Chiefs held the ball for nine minutes and scored a touchdown and the Bills are left with one? Is anybody going to be any happier about this? There's always, and then let's throw this one out there. Now everybody's worried, right? Everybody is worried about if you win the coin toss, it's basically winning the game, they say. Well, what happens when the Chiefs come down and score a touchdown and then the Bills get the ball last and they go down and score a touchdown and they decide to go for two and try to win the game and now everyone's like, but the Chiefs didn't know the Bills were going to go for two. They didn't have a... It wasn't fair. Everybody's going to cry about everything. There's just too much change. There's just too much change. I, I, I can't handle it. Like... I maybe could get on board with like some real wacky overtime stuff. Like I don't even remember the old proposals we were having. Like I was more interested in those than interested in this. Let's just play it like it is. In the regular season, it doesn't need to be changed. It's basically a 50-50 shot. Whoever gets the uh, coin toss as far as who wins. So it's fair or not. It's very fair in the regular season. And as for the postseason, play a lick of defense, and you don't have this happen. If the Bills could do anything defensively in the final nine minutes and then overtime, they win the game. They had the game won twice inside the two-minute warning and choked it away. That's not the rules' fault. That's a you problem. I think the rules are fine. If you get the ball first, you score a touchdown, walk it off and win it. If you kick a field goal, great. Other team gets the ball. Play a lick, lick of defense and you're rewarded. And that's the other thing. The team that gets the ball first... There's three possible outcomes. They're not going to score at all. They're going to kick a field goal. Or they're going to score the game-winning touchdown. Two of the three results favor the defense. Just force them into the percentages. 67% chance that you're going to get the ball back. That That's good enough odds for me. An NFL defense should be able to take advantage of that. Either stop them or help hold them to a field goal. That, that sounds pretty good to me. So I'm not into... I'm not into having to change the rules here. Unnamed texter, 802-585-3026. The MLB ownership have have and make way too much money, but saying the players are undervalued is crazy. 
No one should make that much money playing a sport. The whole industry needs a check. There we go. That's my favorite text. That's my favorite comment because I see a lot of people saying that. Let's understand something here. There are certainly players in sports that are overpaid. There are certainly players in baseball that are overpaid, right? Is is Mookie Betts worth $35 million a year? I don't know. Is Mike Trout worth $40 million a year? I don't know, right? Like He'd probably be just as fine making 25 instead of 35. That's probably fair. However, let's understand that being a professional athlete, though fun and though it affords you a lot of spoils in life, it is a real job and it is a lot of hard work between nutrition and eating and traveling and not seeing the family, etc. There is a lot of sacrifice in being a professional athlete. And when you are a major league player that is making the league minimum of $550,000, and then you lose some of that to taxes and some of that to agency fees and some of that to publicist fees, and then you lose some of it to other league-mandated dues or team dues to pay the clubby, etc., and when the end of the year happens and you take home $200,000 of your $500,000, well then, you know, not everybody is Joe Millionaire. And for all the training you do and all the sacrifice you do and all the travel you do, $200,000 proportionately, it isn't that great. Again, some are certainly overpaid. But to sit here and say that the players are all, uh, you know, that they're not undervalued, a lot of them are undervalued. Aaron Judge, Aaron Judge was making $550,000 a few years ago, right? He was making the league minimum. He hit 50 home runs. I believe he won the league MVP. The league MVP, you're telling me, is only worth the league minimum, and that league minimum that's going to get cut down by New York State taxes. Baseball players pay taxes in every state that they play in, so now we're lopping off even more. He's got an agent. He's got a publicist. He wins the MVP, and what's he come home with? 200 k by the end of the year for being the league MVP? There's a lot of undervaluing going on here, so... Uh, again, they're not all impoverished. I'm not here to say that, but um, you know, it ain't. They're they're not all, you know, on yachts and uh, having gold-plated chairs. Rob Manfred walked back from the players' side to the owners' side, saying, "We're working at it." I don't know what that means, but work harder. It's Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, when we come back, UVM men's basketball narrowly escapes against UMass Lowell. They didn't play great in the second half against Binghamton either. Something to be concerned about or just pre-playoff boredom? We'll just get to the bottom of it. That's next on DEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Show brought to you in part by Pro Driver Training. That's Pro Driver Training, Vermont's premier truck driver training school. They're online at ProDriverCDL.com. That's ProDriverCDL.com. Remember, Jazz with George Thomas is coming up at 7 o'clock, one hour, 7 until 8. Then we got high school basketball on the girls' side, D2 semifinal. Linden is taking on 
Spalding. One more text real quick on the Napa Morrisville, Napa Waterbury text line. Remember we started off the show talking about Alex Ovechkin and his comments on Russia and Ukraine. Well, Tom in Morristown hearkens to that conversation. He goes, did you see Dominic Hasek's idea about Russian hockey players? And yes, I did. I don't know if you all saw this, but uh, Dominic Hasek, the great goaltender who's from the Czech Republic, he said that Russian players, for now, should be banned from the NHL. That's a little extreme. I'm not down with impugning an entire country because, uh, or, or all the citizens of a country, especially those who are not even living there right now, because of what Vladimir Putin is doing. Not every player from Russia is in support of this war. Not every player from Russia is a Putin defender. And none of these players are actively engaging in conflict. So banning the Russian hockey players entirely, that that I don't believe. Like, you want to punish Russia on the global stage, well, they're doing that, right? They've kicked them out of the, the World Cup. They've kicked them out of, um, you know, they've kicked them out of things where they're going to represent with their jersey on, where they're going to show their flag and display their flag. They've kicked them out of those things. Banning them from the NHL for now, I don't think is necessary. And I also saw this. An agent who reps Russian players saying that they need extra security, basically, at this point. That I would agree with. Rather than kick Russian players out, I'd be looking to give Russian players, especially talkative Russian players, I'd be looking to give them a little more protection given how tenuous the situation could be about speaking out. So, banning Russian players from the league right now, that isn't necessary. But protecting Russian players, I think that that is. All right. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Also, Facebook Live and YouTube Live. Um, Bob texted me and said, Jeter was with the Marlins. I don't know what that means. Yes, Derek Jeter was was in the Marlins ownership group, and he's out of it now. So there you go. There's your Derek Jeter Marlins update. So Okay. I don't know what Bob wants me to say about it, but there you go. I think the last two games for the UVM men's basketball team, I think they're worrisome. Concerning is too strong, but worrisome, I think, is the right word. They're certainly noticeable what's happened. You look at UVM the last two games, they've gotten big leads and then let them slip. They failed to hit 70 points in each of the last two games. These are not great trends heading into the conference tournament. The killer instinct, the put-away instinct, that hasn't been there the last couple of games, and that's something that you need if you're going to win a conference title. Now, against Binghamton, they were up 20 at the half. They went on cruise control, didn't play that well in the second half. They end up winning by 17, but it got down to like 11, and Binghamton was on a big run, and they were pushing UVM around. I didn't like what I saw in the second half of that Binghamton game. On Saturday against UMass Lowell, I think they were up like 15 or 16 at one point in the first half. All of a sudden, it's 7 at halftime. And then at the end of the game, UVM is up 60 to 58. And UMass Lowell has the ball where they could potentially go and get the win. Like, it shouldn't have to come down to this. And this is what it came down to. And now it's UMass Lowell with the ball down to Shot clock turned off. Vermont needs a stop and a rebound to win it. Straight away, Allende Hakeem between the circles. Hakeem 
towards Everett Hammonds. Now Alan Blunt, who's got 19 for the Riverhawks. Guarded by Powell. Near short corner. In the lane, Blunt. Fades away. He missed it. It's an air ball. And Davis the rebound. He hugs it to his chest. And Davis to the line with 5.5 to go. When Vermont needs a big stop, Isaiah Powell is that dude. Like, it shouldn't come down to that. It shouldn't come down to that. UMass Lowell was 6-9 and nine in conference coming into that matchup. It shouldn't be where UVM is looking to skate away with a victory and they end up winning by a point. That doesn't make me real thrilled. Now, I do think that when the bright lights of the tournament come on, I think that UVM will be fully engaged, and I think you'll see a little more bounce in their step, but that doesn't mean that there's not a crack in the formula right here. And that crack in the formula is worrisome to me. They get Davis and Shungu barely in double figures. They did get the third guy in Deloney, so they were lucky to have that guy. Deloney had 12, but we say your stars need to play like stars. Davis had 13, Shungu had 11. You're going to need 20 and 17 from those guys. You need star efforts. They didn't get the star effort. Even from Benny, who I've been high on all year, player of the year, he's going to win it. They did not get star scoring efforts. They're going to need it. Powell and Sullivan, offensively, again, nowhere to be found. They combined for nine points between the two of them. That is worrisome to me. They were bad again from three, second consecutive game. They went five for 25 a day after go, or a game after going five for 24. That's 10 for 49 in your last two games. I mean, we're talking at 20%. If you want to win a conference title, you can't be doing that. You've got to shoot better than 20% from three. You've got to get your stars to play like stars. So, again, I think that they'll tighten the screws in conference tournament play, but I don't want it to be a situation where they think they can just turn it on and off. You you can get beat that way. They got beat by Hartford last year. Austin Williams is tearing up the league now for Hartford this year. I'd worry about Hartford coming into Patrick Jim this year. Albany played with, like, there, I'm not nervous. I'm not totally concerned. But it is worrisome to see what has happened the last couple of games where UVM gets up big and then relinquishes it and now is kind of fending off a team in the second half. I'm not. Not interested in that. Less scoring depth, less shooting ability. It's the wrong time for these problems to come about. Like, it's the wrong time for these problems to come about. They should be playing their best basketball of the season. And right now, they're playing a lot like they did at the beginning part of the season. And that wasn't something that was real thrilling to me. All right, 802-585-3026. Sheldon on the Napa-Morrisville, Napa-Waterbury text line. I think 35 fouls were called in the UMass Lowell-UVM game. Almost one a minute. Are the refs sending a message this time of the season? Can playing really tough defensively rattle great free throw shooters? Seemed like both teams not knocking down free throws. Tough game to listen to, seemingly having a foul every possession. I think that the game, at least the last two games, have been more physical. I think they've been more physical than we've been seeing. The last couple of the, a lot of the UVM games this year, and in part, you know, because they were playing so well and there were some blowouts, there were, like, they were really artistic. 
UVM played fast, shot well. It was a pretty game. I'm not saying it was soft. I'm not even saying it was finesse. It was just very, very fluent and very, very pretty. Last couple of games have been slogs, and I think that they've been extremely physical. I think as teams that they're playing come down to the wire and battle for seeding, I think they're really giving UVM everything that they can handle and muster physically. So I do think there's a lot of fouls called because of that. I think there's some fouls missed because the game has been so physical, and I don't know that UVM has responded all that well. Ryan Davis even said after the Binghamton game that like we didn't respond that well to, to their physical play. So I think that the refs... I don't know that they're sending a message. I think the other teams are sending a message. I think that's more of what it's about. I think the other teams are sending a message that, hey, it's crunch time. We're battling for seeding. We're trying to make the playoffs. Binghamton was battling for the second seed when they played UVM in the uh, in that game last week. Uh, UMass Lola's fighting to make the playoffs. They're fighting to be the eighth seed. So I just think teams are battling. So 802-585-3026. Uh, Anthony says, letting anyone score 19 on you and you're going to be in trouble. Yeah, UVM did allow a big score for UMass Lowell. So, I mean, the defensive effort, while it's good on the macro, there was a player that was able to get going for UMass Lowell. And, you know, Austin Williams at Hartford. He can come in and drop 30 on you. He dropped 34, I think, on UVM when they played at Hartford. That, again, I'm taking notice of it all. Tom Brennan's going to be with me tomorrow on the show, so we'll kind of talk about his talk or his thoughts on everything and what he thinks going into the conference tournament. So that begins on uh, March is it 6th, next Sunday, I believe. Next Sunday is when the conference tournament begins, if I'm remembering correctly. UVM will play Tuesday against Maine. Well, let's, guys, let's check on that real quick. UVM is going to play Tuesday, tomorrow against Maine. That's the final regular season game of the year. And then the Cats, yeah, Sunday, March 6th. That's going to be at Patrick Jim. So coming up on Sunday. I misspoke last week, by the way. For some reason, I had it in my head that UVM was going to play Maine in the first round of the playoffs. Maine has been eliminated from the conference tournament play. They, they, don't, they haven't made it. So right now, I believe the Cats would turn around again and play UMass Lowell. That's where it was. I don't know why last week I had it in my head that they might be playing Maine, but it's not going to be Maine. So 802-585-3026. When we come back, pretty big trade proposal floated out there involving the Patriots and a pretty big name wide receiver. Is it a deal that you would do? I'll tell you why I wouldn't do it. That's next right here on WDEV AM and FM. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Yeah, yeah. Welcome back in. Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. High school basketball tonight, 8 o'clock with the coverage. Brent Curtis will be courtside for the girls' semi at the very odd between Linden and Spalding. Pretty big trade proposal floated out there by ESPN's Bill Barnwell involving the Patriots getting Calvin Ridley from the Atlanta Falcons. Listen to this. So the deal he floated out there is Chase Winovich, Patriots edge rusher linebacker hybrid and a second round pick for Falcons receiver Calvin Ridley and Calvin Ridley is a former first round pick of the Falcons who had 
one great year, two pretty good years, and last year didn't play much because citing mental health, he only played, he only he missed rather 12 of the 17 games. So he only played in a handful of games. So here's your deal. Chase Winovich and a second round pick for Calvin Ridley. The easy answer and the impulsive answer is to say do it, right? No questions asked. A lot of people want to do it because Calvin Ridley has shown the ability to be very, very good, and some people think he could be great. But when you dig deeper, I'm going to tell you I actually would say no to this deal. And that's hard, right? I've called the Patriots. I've called for the Patriots to get explosive. I called for them to get star players. I've called for them to get a top flight receiver. This would check every box. This deal, I'm actually saying no to. And let's let's establish this. I'm not saying no because of Chase Winovich. I could care less if Chase Winovich plays for the Patriots next year. He's done nothing for the last two years, really, in New England. So that's not the part of the deal that I'm against. And I'm really not even against the idea of trading a second-round pick. Like, the Patriots traded a second-round pick for Mohamed Sanu. So, like, if they're going to trade that, they could trade it for Calvin Ridley. So it's not even really about the pick. Here's what it's about for me. Calvin Ridley has one year left on his contract. I'm not giving up a second-round pick, which is worth four years of control for one year of Calvin Ridley, especially when I could just go and draft my own younger, cheaper, and under more long-term contract. I could go draft a wide receiver in the first round or use my second-round pick on a wide receiver too. If I can draft a wide out at pick 21 or I could pick a wide out in round two, why am I going to go trade that for one year of Calvin Ridley? I'm not. As good as Calvin Ridley is, as good as Calvin Ridley might be, I don't have interest in trading my pick for one year of him when I could just go draft a wide receiver on my own. If I do my homework correctly and I do my scouting correctly, I can go get a great wide receiver prospect at number 21 in the draft, and I can have him for cheaper and at five years, and I can have Calvin Ridley for one. Now, where Calvin Ridley becomes a benefit, I guess, is if I could sign him long-term. But can I sign him long-term? If you told me I could sign Ridley long-term at a modest deal, I would change my mind, but I just don't think that that's going to be the case. Because... Listen to what's going to happen here. This is exactly how this is going to go. Calvin Ridley played in just a few games last year. Right now, his value on the open market is not seen as incredibly high. So Calvin Ridley, you're not going to trade for him and then sign him the next day long term. That's not going to happen. He needs to reestablish value. If Calvin Ridley plays next year and plays awesome... He's going to want to hit free agency, and he's going to price himself likely out of what I want to pay as the New England Patriots. If Calvin Ridley comes in and plays awful, he's not going to have a lot of value, and I'm not going to want him back, really. So I will have wasted the second-round pick on a guy who didn't end up being very good. If Ridley's great, he wants to hit free agency. If Ridley's not great, I largely don't want him. I'd rather just draft my own player at that rate. So I, I'd actually say no to this deal. I've been calling on the Patriots to draft a wide receiver at pick 21 from the beginning. If they do that, then they get what I hope to be a great player, 
And I get him for five years of team control, and he's cheaper than Calvin Ridley. And I get to keep my second-round pick. I, as, as interesting as that deal is, as, as interesting as the prospective trade is, as interesting as Calvin Ridley is, it's not something I would do. Draft a wideout, develop a wideout, get a wideout who's excellent for you. Terry McLaurin was great for Washington. DK Metcalf, those guys were second-round players. A.J. Brown, second-round player. You can find a great wide receiver in the draft. And if the Patriots just don't whiff like they did on Akeel Harry, then I can get a wide receiver without having to trade for Calvin Ridley. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's get the last wrap-up here from baseball. Let's uh, let's see what's going on here. Evan Drellick, our guy from The Athletic, what's the latest from Jupiter, Florida, where the two sides are meeting. The two sides are still meeting. We're told they're going to meet late into the night. That's what we've got. At least they're trying. I feel bad that baseball is trying to ruin itself, but at least, at least they're talking. But remember this. Major League Baseball imposed the lockout on, like, December 2nd. They didn't meet for weeks later. Major League Baseball has controlled the relative slow pace of these talks. They imposed the lockout from the start, and they have the power to make bigger concessions to meet more towards the 50-yard line. They've chosen to do none of that. So when you ask who who is at fault for this, the owners are at fault for this. I hope that I hope I'm wrong. I hope that tomorrow we come in and there's a deal to talk about and we can break it all down. But I just don't know. All right, full show podcast is available on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. When the show is over, you can, uh, about 10 minutes later, be able to get the podcast there. Thanks to Rob Ryan for stopping by, the voice of UVM Athletics. Had a great talk with him. Coach Brennan is joining us tomorrow. And uh, remember, you can also watch the podcast on YouTube Live and on Facebook Live as well. I'll tweet out the link. I'm on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Jazz with George Thomas is coming up next. High School Basketball with Brent Curtis follows that at 8 o'clock. Very odd we go. Girls Semis, Linden, and Spalding. I'll see you tomorrow, everybody. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV.